It was in the early 1930s that uh, our president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, started a series of talks called Fireside Chats. And in that, he used the opportunity to talk to a nation that was hurting, that was needing some some kind of a consolation and some kind of a hope in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. Not long after that, or pretty close to that same period of time in England, Winston Churchill, faced with the reality of an attacking German army, commissioned a guy who had been an atheist, maybe an agnostic, but whatever the case, he was anything but a Christian, and he had had a, an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it changed his life, and he became one of the great Christian voices of the 20th century. And Churchill went to C.S. Lewis and he said, hey, I need you to help us as far as the nation is concerned that you give us some words that will help us make sense of the onslaught of the German army as they seek to snuff us out as a nation. C.S. Lewis then began to put on the air the radio waves of that country at that time, a series of discussions that helped that group of people Christians and non-Christians in England to make sense of what was going on. Those, many of those were captured in a book entitled Mere Christianity. And if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend that you put it on your reading list. I don't necessarily want to uh, draw too many distinctions or uh, correlations between either one of those two great leaders. But I feel like I need to have something of a fireside chat with us today. And it's not that we're being attacked necessarily, although Scripture would tell us that we are. Neither is it that we feel like we need some kind of word of hope today, although some of you may feel like that's where you are today. Mainly, what I want to do today is to address us as a church, less as a formal sermon and more of a let's sit down and reason together just a little bit. Throughout history, some key moments have gone by unnoticed until years later, in retrospect, people start looking back and say, you know what, that was a key turning point for us as a people. For instance, when Adolf Hitler was first elected to office in Germany, most people didn't really think too much about it. Now we see that it was a turning point, not just for a nation, but for the war, uh, world. And again, I don't want to draw too many correlations between me and Adolf Hitler either. Uh, but uh, we find ourselves today very potentially at a crossroads, at a turning point as a church. And I want to just kind of share with you a little bit more on a person-to-person level, if that was possible, in a large crowd like this. I want us to talk about some of what's going to begin happening before this service is over. When you are excused from here and as we're ready to go and head towards the house, you'll be given a copy of the bylaws that are being proposed for Crestwood Baptist Church. And a group of people have been working almost every week meeting on Thursday nights since September, as best I can remember. They sure string together a lot. Seems like just one long meeting to me. Spencer Matthews has been the chairman of that committee. Chairman of the Deacons, Kevin Johnson, is on that committee. Matt Rayburn is on that committee. Alan Stanley, Judy Mitchell, and myself. And, and we have, huh? Kathy, well, I said Judy. Sorry about that. It wasn't Judy. You weren't there, were you? I remember not you, you not being there. Sorry about that. 
uh, I get stage fright in front of people. I, you never know what I might say. <laughs> Kathy Mitchell, thank you. So uh, we've been meeting for so long that uh, those meetings just kind of run one into another. But the fruition of that process now is going to be put into the lap of the church at large, which is you. And today what I want to do is take this time to share a little bit with you as to why that set of bylaws is being presented and why I believe it's a critical decision for us as a church. Now let me just say before we get into all of that, we're going to hand it out at the end so that you're not reading it during the sermon time. And also, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock in what is normally our Bible study time on Sunday nights, we will actually give that time over to discussing a portion of those bylaws or as much as we feel like we can uh, tackle tonight. And for Sunday nights, until we can work our way through that so that we can have discussions as a church body, and you can ask questions and we can explain a few things and just kind of work our way through that because what we want is everybody to understand fully what is being proposed there and have you have the chance to weigh in on some of that stuff. Ultimately, it will require a, an approval by the church. That has, has to happen. As you'll see in the bylaws, there's a process on how that has to go about. And uh, so we'll start that process tonight. But what I wanted to do before you ever got a chance to read it is to give you a little bit of an understanding as to why I believe it is a critical moment in the life of our church as we look at those things. I'm going to look at three different passages of Scripture today. So I'm going to ask you to turn to there. Actually, the first one, you can just kind of hold that one. Uh, and the second one's only a couple of pages over. The third one's a little ways over, so you'll want to mark it with your bulletin or something. First will be Matthew chapter 24. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 25. We'll start reading in verse 14. Matthew 25, 14. And then we'll be in Matthew 28 after that. So first is Matthew 25, then Matthew 28, and then thirdly we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. And as we come to this time, there are really three main ideas today that I want you to kind of hang on to. And I'll emphasize them when we get there so that you can at least hopefully remember some of what we're talking about. Three main ideas I want you to hold. And here's the first one. As a church, we must be intentional in our reach or reaching to be exact. Now, as we come into this, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I believe that after nine and a half months as your pastor, that I've begun to at least sort of get a picture of the landscape that is the life of Crestwood Baptist Church. Back in October, we celebrated our 30th anniversary as a church. And I look at our church and I am amazed at what God has done through this group of people over the last 30 years. What God has done here is, well, amazing is the best word that I know to use for it. I know churches have been in place three, four times as long as our church and not accomplished nearly what this church has done. And I'm aware of that as we come into this. I don't want you to think as we, as we begin this discussion together that this comes out of this new preacher shows up and he's not happy with the church or anything like that. It's not that at all. I don't necessarily believe this is a time of crisis for us, although we're always in a crisis of decision moment as a people of God. 
We always have the ability to make a choice, and the choices we make today definitively impact what happens tomorrow and beyond. So as I look at our church, I look at how we're positioned here. I look at the resources that God has placed in this location. Financial resources, people resources, facility resources, location resources, the context of our time where we're placed here in the midst of a growth situation in this particular area and it is nothing short of amazing what has happened in 30 years time. What started as a dream for a group of people, a small group of people, and then progressed into buying some land and then it was a portable building that was out there in 30 years time to be what we are as a church is an amazing thing. But one of the dangers that we have is that we can be so locked in on where we've been and where we've come through those 30 years that we fail to think about what happens in the next 30 years. We'll see as we work our way through this that there are some answers that we will have to make before God as to what we do with our time in this place. So we come to this and there's been a lot going on, a lot of God's hand and blessing, lives changed because of the ministry of Crestwood Baptist Church. And we can pat ourselves on the back for that. I can't. I hadn't been here for all that. You can. But here's a good question for us to ask. Why has God chosen to bless this church with the resources that he has? Let that sink in. Why is it When we have in this area so many churches that struggle to survive even, why is it that at this place, in this group of people, God has chosen to resource us the way he has? You think that's for our own good? You think that God blessed Crestwood Baptist Church so that we can show up on Sundays and look around and go, As I say on a regular basis, and I say it because I mean it, I love coming to church here. I do. I I love it. But you think that's why God has resourced us the way he has? So we can come here and feel good about ourselves? Is it maybe so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, it's bad English, but it communicates. We've done good here. I believe that there's more to it than just that. I'm not necessarily saying that we shouldn't feel good about the church that we go to and shouldn't have a certain amount of pride in where we choose to identify ourselves as far as the people of God is concerned. But there's got to be more to it than just us. That takes me to the first passage of Scripture for the day. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25 together. And uh, this is a parable that Jesus tells. Now, it's a parable of the talents. He's talking in a more extended manner here. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry here, and he's about to be crucified and all of that. But when we come to this time, Jesus tells this parable, and he starts off by saying there was a guy who was... I'm going to put a few verses in my own words here, and then we'll start reading, okay? And there was this guy, and he was a businessman, and he's going to go away for an extended period of time, and he calls some of his uh, managers to himself, and he says, I'm going to leave, and so I'm going to entrust you with a certain amount of money. And to one guy, he gives one unit of money. Let's say it's $1,000. And to another guy, he gives two units of money. Let's say that's $2,000. And to another one, he gives five units, $5,000. 
And he says to them, now I'm going to leave, and while I'm gone, you just take care of business. So now let's pick up reading. We'll start reading in verse 18. And it says this. Now after, is that verse 19? Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. In other words, he showed up, and now it's time to show what you've done. And he who had received the five talents, the five units, came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a ruthless... Bi- oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't say it that way, does it? Sometimes I like to just see if you're listening or not. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You know what Jesus is doing with that and what he's teaching us? Uh, Because this is not a formal sermon for me, I'm not going to go back and explain all of the background for that and try to draw it home. I'm just going to kind of lay it out this way. What Jesus is doing here is he's establishing this basic truth for his disciples. You will be held accountable for the resources that God leaves you with. In other words, all of life is a matter of stewardship for us. Now, we've cheapened down this idea of stewardship in churches most of the time to that one time of the year when a lot of churches talk about how much money you ought to be given to the church. Stewardship is a lifestyle for the Christian. And this parable emphasizes this truth, not just for you as an individual, but for us as a church. And back to Crestwood, with all that God has blessed us with, location, facilities, people resources, financial resources, all of those things, God ultimately will hold us accountable for. So when I ask the question, why do you think God's chosen to bless us with the resources that he has, whatever our answer is why he has done that, we have to recognize that he is going to hold us accountable for what we do with it. What that means is we're going to have to be, this is back to that key idea I wanted you to get, we're going to have to be intentional with our reaching. 
I want you to think for a moment with me about the field that is Southeast Texas. I was in a committee meeting not too long ago. I still think of myself as a new guy here because I still do things almost every week that's brand new for me at this church. Okay? Came from a church where I'd been for 20 years. Not a whole lot new happened there. I kind of knew the landscape. This every week's a new kind of experience for me here. Happened to me this week. It'll happen this coming week, I'm sure. But I was in a committee meeting not too long ago, and I made a comment kind of like that. And I said, I know that I'm the new guy. And one of the ladies in our church said, you're not new anymore. And I thought, all right, that means I've arrived, I guess. They're going to let me stay, maybe. Well, I do still have a little bit of new perspective that I want to try to throw at you a little bit. Get you thinking outside of the box. Because see, part of what happens is when we come to a place for a long period of time, maybe some of you have been coming to church here for all of those 30 years or many of those 30 years. And so every week that you come to church, it's just, it's just kind of the same old thing. And you see the same people. And you have the same experience, basically. Let me just kind of stop for a minute and see if I can open the doors and the light uh, or open the windows a little bit for us and see a few things differently. Teresa and I have the opportunity to experience new stuff. It happened last night. We had the opportunity to go do something uh, in a local context. It's one of those things that's been happening around here for decades, but it was a brand new experience for us. And I sat back just totally enthralled with what was going on. I I love it here. I'm, I'm not kidding. When I say I love coming to church here, I do. The day that I stop loving to coming to church here is the day you're going to, well, never mind. I won't even go there, okay? As we sat out there, I was watching what was going on, and I was thinking to myself, man, this is awesome. People in this community actually care about each other. They care about the kids that are here, and there's an investment level that goes on. Now, I don't know how long you've been. I don't know if you still see that or not, but that's a huge thing. You know, I, I saw, some, after being in a place where I was for 20 years, I saw something last night that relates to a community kind of spirit that I never saw down there in 20 years. Do you see that here? What do you see here? Let me tell you something else I do. Every week, I try to expand my ability to live in this area by taking a new road somewhere. Does that sound just totally dumb to you? But see, I mean, I drive places and I, you know, I, I got, I can get to Beaumont every time I can get there. Now, what I can't get, or some, I don't even know the names of some of these other people. Some people say, well, you know, I'm from China. And I thought, dude, you came from China? <laughs> That's a long way to hear me preach. Well, it's not that far, I figured out. Okay, so I have, you know, just like you, I have these patterns of living that I follow, uh, but I'm trying to expand my pattern a little bit. So let's say I'm going to Beaumont, and I figured out a couple of different ways to get to Beaumont now. The first week I was here, I figured if I went to Sour Lake, I could get to Beaumont that way. Well, you can, I figured out. This is a long way to travel if you're going to do that. So I was taking this back way, and I thought, there's a road. I, I drive by that road every day, and I, I wonder what's down that road. So just as a matter of course, every week, I take a little bit of time, and I take a new road. Let me tell you something. I've been, I've been way back up in the woods. I'm glad I listened to some of y'all who had work, you know, 
work telephones that work way out in the woods because my GPS has got me out of some spots, I want you to know. You know what I find on a regular basis? There's a lot of homes back up in those woods. You remember me saying that to you the first week that I was here? Man, there's a lot of homes back up in those woods. Do you see that on a regular basis? You can pick, just pick a road at random and drive down it and count the number of homes. And if there's only one person living in that home, which is unlikely, think about how many people are in this area. And we get locked in. We don't see that stuff a whole lot. Here, here's why I'm saying all of this. We have to be intentional in our reaching people. What do you see? You know, remember the very first sermon that I preached for y'all? Ask this question. What do you see here? There's lots of people in this area. And God has resourced this church at an incredible level. You, comparatively speaking, there are few churches in this area who have what this church has in the way of resource. Let me tell you, that doesn't make us special. That just makes God special. He's chosen to do something here. And the question is, what are we doing with that? Because the parable of the talents tells us that there's a day of judgment where we will stand before God and answer, what did you do with the resources I gave you? Every one of those homes out on those lonely roads have lives there. And if every church in this area was packed out, by the way, there's a hundred thousand churches around here. I don't know where all these churches came from. But if every one of them was packed with people, there would still be more out there than inside. So what do we do with that? Now this takes me to the second passage of scripture I want you to, see, to, to look at because we're accountable for our resources but what is it that we're accountable for Matthew chapter 28 takes us here now most of us are going to know this you probably even could quote it but Matthew chapter 28 gives us marching orders as a church verse 18 and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me now let me stop for a second and let me put that in my words okay Jesus says I'm the boss. That's what that says. All authority in heaven and on earth. Now, let me just ask you, geographically speaking, what's not included in all in heaven and earth? That's everywhere. All authority in all places has been given to me. I'm the boss, so Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is it that God will hold Crestwood accountable for in the end? And the answer is, how well did we make disciples? Let me stop and just let that filter in for a second. We can approach church as if it is just one of those things that we do. It's part of our schedule. That's okay. That's probably better than not having it as part of your schedule. 
because there is that spiritual part of every one of us. I don't want you to come to church just because the preacher said you ought to come. There is that spiritual part of every one of us that longs for God. And if you can't have that filled and uh, growing because of a church relationship, you're, you're in trouble because this is the mechanism that Jesus established to do that. So we need to have church as part of our day-to-day or every you know, regular schedule. But if that's all it is for us, and if that's all we offer here is a place to go on Sunday, we're missing it. Because Jesus didn't say, all authority is given to me, therefore build churches so that people can go there on Sundays. He didn't say that. What he said was, to us as Christians, make disciples. So how well are we doing that? As a church, let's just stop and be really honest for a second. Are we making, building disciples here, teaching people to do all that Christ has commanded us, or are we just throwing worship services once a week? Let me me say it this way. How are we building disciples? What are the mechanisms that we have in place that help people in a strategic way to grow into the fullness of Christ. I believe as a church, we and leaders, and I'm, you know, according to Scripture, I'm one of the main ones who's going to have to stand in front of God and say, okay, here's what we did. I think this is a good question for us to come at. Doesn't matter how good it's been in the past, doesn't matter what we've accomplished for 30 years. What matters is before God today, how are we at doing this? Making disciples. We have a job to do. And God holds us accountable for the job that we do. So, with that in mind, back to it, the first main thing I want you to remember is we need to be intentional in our reaching as a church. That leads me to the second thing I want you to see, and that is that we have to handle people well. Say that again. This is one of the things I want you to remember. We have to handle people well. Don't hear me say something I'm not saying. Many preachers and many churches uh, really emphasize manipulating people well. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as a church, if we're to be effective in discipling people and taking the resources that God has given us, we have to really be good at handling people. I read a book not too long ago. Some of you saw it. I put it on that blog that I write from time to time, and uh, it's called Good to Great. And one of the basic ideas in this is part of what the guy called the hedgehog principle. That is that every organization, if they want to go from just being good to being a great, long-standing, successful organization, they have to be really good and excel at one thing that they do better than anybody else. Now, I don't want to get into the comparative part of that, but I do want to say this. There are a lot of churches in this area and a lot of churches doing a lot of different things. One of the things that I believe few churches do well is handle people. Put it to you this way. I was talking to some friends not too long ago, church members, who went to another church. They were visiting with somebody, a large church, and they went into this church for a worship service Easter Sunday morning, and not a single person said, hello, good morning, How you doing? No greeting at all from anybody in that church. Church with over a thousand people. 
I mean, nobody even went to them and said, hey, you're sitting in my chair. Nobody said anything to them. Now, is that handling people well? Put it to you this way. If God, through a series of miracles, got one of those really hard anti-church people to show up at our church on a Sunday morning, it wouldn't take much for us to give that person a reason not to come back. We're going to have to be really good at giving those people reasons to come back. Understand, it's not about getting people into the church. It's about making disciples. But it is so easy for us to offend somebody and push them away when what we're called to do is to pull them in. So we have to be really good at handling people. And I think that we can do that better than any other church in the area. Now, I hope that we can influence other churches to be really good at it too. But we have to take care of our own business. We have to do that well. I know that there are people in this church, in this room today, I know that they purposely look for people in these services that we have at 11 o'clock. They look for people who look like they haven't been here before. Now, they don't do that so they can sit at the back and say, look at that person, he's a rookie. You can tell he's a rookie, look at him. He doesn't know the words of that song. They don't do that. They do that so they can go to them and say, hey, we're so glad that you're here today. That's critical. What happens if you're the one that somebody walks in and says, hey, I have a four-year-old little girl here. What do I do with them during this 945 hour? Would you know where to take them? Would you know if there's a Sunday school class for four-year-old little girls, and if so, where it is? If somebody said to you, I'm uh, single and I'm 85 years old, is there a Sunday school class for me, what would you do with them? Those are the things that as a church we need to be really good at. But there's more to it than just that. I think that part of the making disciples thing hits, and I'm going to come to this other passage of Scripture in just a minute, but every one of us, has something to offer in the church. Now, if you happen to be visiting with us, I'm not talking about money here. Now, we're not going to turn your money down probably, but I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about every one of us has something that God has given us a unique gift to do. And the way he builds us together is that this church needs you to do that thing. And if you don't do that thing then the church is going to miss out because of that. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let me make sure that we're on the right path here. First of all, first thing I want you to remember, you must be intentional in our reach. Secondly, we have to handle people well. The goal for us is to move people from being outsiders to having ownership in this thing called Crestwood Baptist Church. Are you part of that group of people who are involved here. I know the tendency here is for us to kind of say, well, you know, I do as much as I want to do. Really not the question about what you want to do. The question is about what God's called you to do because every disciple has something they're called to do. Third thing I want you to get, and then I'll move on, and I'm almost done. What was the first thing I wanted you to remember? Let's do test time now. If you don't pass the test, you can't go to lunch. The first thing I wanted you to remember, somebody help because some of us are hungry. What? We have to be intentional in our reaching, all right? Secondly, 
We need to handle people well. Here's the third one. It's going to take all of us. That means something has to change. Some people just checked out on me because I used the change word. Do you like change? I mean, you know my answer to that. I've said it to you before. We like the change that we like. The change that we don't like, we don't like at all. Like, for instance, the guy, his wife went to one of these craft shows, you know, and she found this cross-stitched frame thing that said prayer changes things. Now, today, this is me talking now, I'm not going to deal with how bad theology that is. We'll deal with that starting next week. But it says prayer changes things. She loved it, so she bought it. She took it home. She put it up in their dining room so that when they sat down to eat, they could see it. Her husband uh, noticed it, and she said after about a week, she noticed it was missing. And so she started looking around. She asked her husband, said, Did you, what happened to our deal? He said, I took it down. She said, why'd you take it down? Don't you believe in prayer? He said, oh, I believe in prayer. She said, well, what's the problem? He said, I believe in prayer, and I believe that prayer changes things, and I hate change, so I took it down because I don't want to look at it. Now, I want you to think for a second about the change that you like. Most of you have changed clothes this week. That's change you like. You change lanes while you're driving down the road. That works for you. But sometimes we start talking about in change in how we live our lives, and we're so comfortable with what's normal that we don't follow suit like we should. As a church, look at who we are and how we function. One of the things that I noticed immediately when I got here was that there was a very small group of people who did nearly everything here. Actually, I noticed that before I ever came because when I was dealing with the search committee, uh, several of them, maybe even all of them, uh, were the ones who were so intimately involved in the stuff that happens around here. They said, man, we're tired. And I thought, when I figured out all the stuff they're doing, I thought, I bet you are tired. And so first week I was here, somebody said, you know, we're having a 30th anniversary celebration coming up in October. I said, that sounds good. And so they said to me, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm planning on going. <laughs> I mean, after all, that's part of my job description to be there on Sunday. So that wasn't the question, as it turns out. First week, what are you going to do, preacher? So I started having some discussions with key leaders in the church. And I said, naive me. I said, let's form a steering committee and we'll put people over key areas of that so that we can get it all done. And they laughed at me. And I said, what's so funny? I said, well, you're not going to get anybody to be willing to serve on a steering committee. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, <laughs> what happened here? Honeymoon's over. I've been here four days and honeymoon's over. Nobody's going to be willing to do anything. Well, I found that they were sort of right. That was an informed opinion that they gave me. But they weren't totally right because we were able to get out there and because of some work from some key people, we're able to get other people involved. Now, let me. here's what I want you to hear. The change that we have to make as a church is we've got to make it possible for everybody to have a voice 
I don't really like the way that sounds because that sounds like we're just going to you know, have a forum and everybody can say something. We need to make it possible and probable for every person in this church to have a role in this church. Let me tell you where I get that. That comes out of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go there. Actually, I could take you to 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14 here, but I'm going to zero in on chapter 4. And as I read this, I especially want you to listen for that make disciples thing that Jesus mentioned. This is Paul writing. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that is pastors and teachers. Now, so that's a key leadership group in the church. Here's why he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Full stop for a second. Let's look at that. Whose job is it to do the work of ministry? Okay, audience participation. I'll ask a question and you respond, okay? Whose job is it to do the work of ministry? The saints and the pastor teachers. It's everybody's job, right? Right? Go like this. That is right, okay? Now, I know you don't want to take my word for it because you know I'm fixing to hit you with a zinger, don't you? I had a discussion not long after I came here. Somebody was talking to me about a particular staff position. No. We don't have anybody in that staff position. We don't even have that staff position. So we were talking about if we ever get somebody to do that job in the church, then it's their job to get it done. You know what that is? That's bull. That's what that is. Because the job of the minister is to equip the saints for the work of service. And so as a personnel committee and these search committees that we have, one of the things that I've tried to impress on them is, listen, you need ministers in this church, associate pastors, whatever we call them, we need ministers in this church who can take the people of the church, equip them, and then the church needs to have the mechanism in place so that those people can just do what God's called them to do. That's a good place for an amen, even though you don't want to give it. Okay? Because what I just said was a total shift in the way we perceive ministerial staff. It is an equipping position, and the work of the ministry is in those chairs you're sitting in. That's not me saying it. That's Paul saying it. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, listen to the discipleship part of this, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know what Paul has just said? He has taken the command that Jesus gave in the Great Commission and he's fleshed it out for us in the way it looks and how church functions. You and I, called by God, gifted by God, so that this body accomplishes what God's called us to accomplish. So what that means is we need to be really deliberate, intentional in our reaching 
strategic in the way we think about that. We need to handle people well, but we also make sure that we get it right at this point. This document that you're going to get in just a handful of minutes now is designed intentionally to open the doors for people to get involved in this church. No longer can it be a handful of people who do everything. That just don't work. It wears people out and it totally alienates people as to what God's called them to do. I want you to hear this in a very personal way. What this fat, bald-headed preacher is saying to you is, we're fixing to give you the chance to go to work. But there's that crisis of decision again. I've got plenty of work, preacher. I don't need to do that. You know, the problem with that is God has called you and equipped you for his kingdom's work. Just like we as a church will stand before God and give an answer for the resources, you as an individual Christian will stand before God and he'll say, I equipped you with these resources. What have you done with them? The way we reach into this community in an effective way with all of those people who live out all in the woods is all of us step into our calling and our place. So as you read this document, these proposed bylaws, I ask you first to read through them and pray before you start doing that. Once you read through them, I want you to be listening, or as you read through them, I want you to be looking for how this opens the door for more people to be involved in more ways here, okay? That's what we're talking about. It could very well be a single thing that changes everything around here. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll begin the process of talking through that. And I encourage you to be here. You'll have a chance to ask questions. Spencer and the rest of us, as necessary, will help to explain some of what's in there. It is a critical moment in the life of the church, and I encourage you to be part of it. Next week, I'll start back in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll start dealing with prayer. But for today, this is such an important thing in the life of our church. I wanted to just share with you why we're going there. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we come to this time, we pray that you would help us to personalize this whole discussion. Father, I know that this is the kind of thing that has all kinds of concern and points of apprehension, maybe. I pray that this would be a time in the life of our church where we are especially attuned to your spirit as you speak to us. Help us to see what we need to see. Help us to begin to look at ourselves and say, okay, what is my gift? Where am I called to plug in? And how might that help this church to be more effective in what you've called us to be? We pray that even now that your spirit would be at work in the lives of people. Maybe for those who came in here not expecting anything like this today, even still, your spirit is doing work with them and calling, you, calling them to yourself. Help us all to be brutally honest with ourselves and responsive to your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name.